Father, I pray that You would speak to us this morning, that You would open the eyes of our heart, that we might receive from Your Word. So, Lord, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us knowledge, give us discernment, so that we might better glorify You in the days ahead. In the name of Jesus, I pray all of these things. Amen. You have your Bibles. We're in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1. And let me... I know I learned when I took public speaking, you're not ever supposed to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and share this because I think the last group may have wondered. I'm having to take some medication right now, and so my eyes are just a little bit blurry when I read. So when I, if I skip words, I'm not trying to leave parts of the Bible out, okay? just want you to hear that, and, and I'll, be, I'll be good to see next week. But I just want you to know, I, I, every once in a while, I, I'm missing a couple of words. It's a little bit blurry. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you've never experienced that. But there's about half of you in here that are over 40. You go, I got you, brother, right there. So uh, I, just, I just want you to know that. <clears throat> Other than that, things are wonderful today. Uh, and I'm so excited to be here and thankful for all that God has done. It's, if you'll remember, as we look at the book of Philippians, uh, Philippians is probably written while Paul is in a Roman prison. We know he's in prison, and, and our best guess is that he's in Rome. And he has every reason to believe that this is probably the last letter that he will write to this church, a church of which he is extremely fond of. And he deals with a myriad of issues, but uh, this morning we're going to see several uh, in chapter 1 that he dealt with. We talked a little bit last week. Of course, he deals with the issues of thanksgiving and prayer, participation in the gospel that we talked about last week. Faith is not just preaching the gospel, but it's living the gospel, living it in actions. Our our purpose, which is for us to live, is Christ and to die is gain, and to keep your faith through circumstances. And you see that all throughout this book completely, but you also see it particularly in the last parts of this chapter. Now, uh, Paul is dealing here with several issues, and he will address the the uh, difficulty. Uh, of the future that he's going to be dealing with, uh, difficulty that he's having with others, and difficult circumstances. So we see all of those difficult circumstances, difficult people, and uh, difficult uh, situations or an uncertain future. Uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we used to uh, go to my grandmother's pretty much every day. It was just two miles down the road. And uh, I remember, uh, I loved to fish, particularly with a cane pole. And I remember I had left my cane pole out in the water with some bait on it, hoping that I would catch something. And I wanted to go back that next morning and see. And I went with my aunt and a couple of my cousins. And when I stepped out of the car, I was still in my pajamas. She had picked us up that morning. I was still in my pajamas. And I started running toward that pond, not paying attention where I was going. The problem was is that my dad raised cattle. And at the time, we probably had about 75 or 80 cows. And um, they didn't get in the immediate yard, but they were everywhere else. And you can imagine what cows leave behind. And uh, <clears throat> I wasn't but about five feet away from the car. And boom, I'm in one. That's right foot. I shake it off. I go to the next one. And I hit another one. And I, I look at my pants leg and my aunt says, get in the house. And my grandmother said, no, don't get in the house. Get out here in the yard and I'm going to spray you down. Uh, and then I remember another time, same thing, I'm excited about going, <clears throat> open the door, but this time I had learned to look for cow pies. I opened the door and I said, I think there's a snake right there. And they go, oh, it's probably not a snake. Sure enough, it's a big water moccasin right there. And what that taught me was to be attentive, to look for the so-called barriers 
uh, as I would go on my way to the pond or the horses or whatever, my dad really taught me the importance of looking ahead and looking at what's before you. You don't want to just step everywhere uh, because sometimes there's a consequence. And Paul gives some good encouragement here in the book. It makes me remember a lot of the steps that we've taken as, at a, as a church, a lot of ways that God has blessed us. Many of you uh, probably know this story, but I want to share it for those of you who are new. Um, Steve and Rhonda and, and uh, the Brooks shared a little bit about our first year and a half, our first two years when we were at Briar Hill. Uh, and we got to that point where we'd been there for about a year and we'd been looking for property because we knew this time if we left, uh, we'd have to go to Coppell or Grapevine. We'd have to go somewhere out of the area because we already have used Denton County and LISD. And so uh, we really began to pray and seek. And so for a year and a half, we looked for property and just nothing would come up. There wasn't uh, anything that would work out either. The city, one of the cities that we were working in would, would nix it or we, we just couldn't afford it, we couldn't buy it, uh, whatever the situation was. And Finally, I remember driving down this road right here. We've been looking all up and down 407 and West 1171, but I'd not even looked over here because uh, I knew we couldn't afford it, quite frankly, and that really wasn't the area that we were planning to be in. And uh, I saw a sign that said J&J Ranch for sale. matter of fact, I think part of it's still out there. And I go, well, here we go again. I've literally done this, and this is not an exaggeration, probably two to 300 times at this point, as well as another 50 or 60 folks. So I pick up the phone, call, and said, I noticed you have some land for sale. Um, we're interested in buying land. Didn't tell them I was a church because I'd already learned that things don't start off quite as well when you tell, you tell them you're a church. And so I didn't say anything. And uh, she said, well, how much do you want to buy? I said, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight acres. What would you sell? She goes, well, we've got 360 and we don't want to subdivide it. Uh, if we did, we, we, right now on the 360, I think we're asking 70 to 75,000 acre. We'd want substantially more than that. If we did, but we want to do a large track of land. That's probably too small. <clears throat> and um, I said, well, do you know of anybody else out here that maybe you live next to that would sell us land? She goes, you know what? We inherited this property and we live in Missouri. So actually, I really don't. But she said, uh, I said, well, we're a church and we're just trying to find anything. If you know of anything or you know anybody. She goes, you know what? Why don't you just go by and see my husband? He's ha he flew down there from Missouri today and he's down there surveying land. And uh, why don't you just go, to go over and see him? So I just happened to be wearing my cowboy boots and my blue jeans that day, driving my little red truck. And I found him, it's almost a mile from here, just straight through the property all the way to the back, past the school on the other side. And he happened to be over there, and he was working on his tractor. He had a big cowboy hat on. It looked like big Tex, blue jeans and boots. And he was working on his tractor. And I, um, I pulled up and I said, Mr. Bunn, my name's Ron Holton. Uh, I'm a pastor in the area and just wanted to come by and talk to you about maybe possibly buying some land. And uh, he didn't even look up. He goes, yeah, what, what, well, where are you from? And uh, I told him, I said, well, I'm originally from southwest Louisiana. He goes, have you ever heard of Jesse Duplantis? I said, uh, yes, sir. Uh, and you know what? Was that? It was true. When I was about 15 years old, I was dating a girl who, whose dad was a Pentecostal pastor. And, um, and through them, I began to hear Jesse Duplantis every once in a while. And, and I was 15. I didn't have hardly a spiritual bone in my body at that point. And, uh, but I remember he was entertaining. I, you know, I never listened really to anybody else. Uh, but he, I just remember he had good stories. And so we began to share those stories with each other. I hadn't heard Jesse Duplantis since I got out of high school, which is like 25 years ago or some ridiculous number. I don't know. Maybe it's only five years ago. Um, but nevertheless, that's not funny. Nevertheless... Um, we began to share stories, and he said, You know what, boy? Won't you come walk with me across the 
the property. He, he never could get my name. He's called me boy the whole time. And um, so we start walking across the property, and we're way, way out there on this side. And we begin to walk, and he begins to pray and speak in tongues, and I begin to listen and pray. And uh, we get all the way over here. And I'm, it's probably about a 30-minute walk. We get all the way over here, and we stop right here. And he goes, God told me to sell this to you, boy. I said, well, how much? He goes, how much do you want? I said, well, what do you want to sell me? He goes, he goes I don't know, but i tell you what, this is the best spot i got right here. He goes, this is what you want, and God told me to sell it to you. And so I, he told me what the number was, and I said, well, could you, um, can you reduce that price? Uh, and, and I said, I'd like to have 10 acres, but I'll need you to reduce that about thirty or 40000 an acre. And he goes, all right, I'll do that. And then because I don't have any better sense and because I didn't ask enough questions last time, I said, Mr. Bunn, would you pray about writing off five or six, seven acres for us and we'll give you a write-off? Now, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what a write-off is. I had no idea, but I've heard people talk about it before and I'm sure somebody knows how to do it. People say it all the time. You just write that off. So I said, can you just write that off? He goes, let me pray about that. Why don't you call me tomorrow before I leave? So I called him the next morning. I said, Mr. Bunge, did you pray about giving us that land so you could have a write-off? And he goes, um, he goes, yeah, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do six and a half more acres for you. So that's how we got the property that we have right here. That's how God gave it to us. People say, what'd y'all do? I said, here's what I did. I dated a Pentecostal preacher's daughter when I was 15. That's all I ever did. I didn't, I didn't do anything else. And it's so true. It was just a blessing of God that He gave to us. And so I'm just, I'll forever be thankful. And, uh, you know, I, I, I um, identify with Paul as he talks about. Uh, what it seems like difficult circumstances and were much more difficult for him than they ever were for us. Uh, and even with difficult people, dealing with uh, a difficult and uncertain future. You know, I'm just amazed at what our church did. We then had to come up with the money to buy the land, and we had to come up with $250,000 cash. We went to the bank, and they said, yeah, what do you have as assets? I said, well, we've got a 72 U-Haul and a 76 yeah, that didn't count. And, and everything we owned was stacked in there, and they weren't impressed with that. And we found out later when we tried to give that stuff away to another church plant, and they didn't want it. Then I realized how really invaluable it was. So we had to just kind of come up with cash and then come up with commitments. And so our people sacrificially did that in a, in a big way. And uh, we came up with the money. And this is when we only had about 175 people, 150, 175 people. But then we still had to put something on it. We still had to build. That extended us for another year and a half to be in the school, but now we've got to come up with the money for a building. And um, so we had to do a major sacrifice from, from a lot of our folks, just uh, major, major giving uh, so that this would be possible. I remember sitting down with a church, church growth guy who tells you about loaning money. He goes, hey, no way you can do that, son. He said, your, your church just does not have enough people to pull that off. You're just not going to be able You're just going to have to wait. And I'm thinking... Wait and go where? Go to Coppell? He goes, I'm just telling you. I said, well, we're, we're going to step ahead in faith, and if God shuts the door, then He'll open another door. So we, we stepped ahead, and, and God did it. Uh, he supplied once again, and that's how we had this building. And that was done, again, with about 225 to 230 people who uh, really miraculously and sacrificially gave so that we might be worshiping here today. Uh, and, and during that time, of course, We've seen over 200 people come to Christ and be baptized. Uh, we've started help launch seven churches. Seven churches have been planted out of our congregation. We've adopted a village 
and uh, in Tanzania, Africa that you're familiar with and uh, where we are producing clean water and the first believers in that community. Uh, and so we are excited about what God is doing. Uh, I wish I had time to just, as you're looking at these pictures when you go through here, there, there are pictures of people who were so far away from God uh, that they didn't not only know Him, they didn't believe He existed. As you see some of these pictures and some of these folks that are working and sharing who have come to Christ, uh, there's just a great story behind each one of those pictures. And so uh, I just thank God for what He's done and what He will continue to do. And Paul is being thankful and grateful to the Philippian church here. Uh, let's read here, beginning in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love... And he's talking about agape love. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about what agape love is. It's the antithesis of selfishness, of self-centeredness, of our own self-seeking desires. It's divine. It's sacrificial. It's consistent. And Paul says that your agape love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge of understanding the Word of God is not just simply knowing it and reading it, but obeying it, putting it into practice, the insights that have been given, so that you may discern what is best. So that you may discern. That word discern in the Greek actually is the word that we get aesthetic from, but the last half of it, but basically this is dis-aesthetic. It's like not aesthetic is basically what's being stated here. And so what he's saying is not of taste, but of truth. So in other words, we are not to make decisions, particularly spiritual decisions, but any meaningful decision strictly based on taste. When it particularly comes to matters of the Spirit, uh, we are, Paul is giving a great encouragement here to discern. Don't make it a matter of taste. When we're looking for a church, so many times most people simply go on taste. Well, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? But we all want to make the real decision based on truth. What is being taught? Is correct doctrine being taught? Is it biblical? Is it according and glorifying to God? Those are the real issues. And it's okay to have some taste involved, but that's where we always start. And that's the way we start with decisions in our life whether they be financial, whether they be physical, whether they be social, we start uh, with the understanding that I don't want to simply do this according to only my taste. And Paul says here that... Uh, excuse me. He said, "...and what is best and what is pure and blameless until that day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to glory and praise God. So there is certainly what we might call bad decisions that sometimes we make when we're dealing with the basic areas of life. Health, finances, our home life, our social life, our work life, our church life. But there's always a bad decision, but it's not enough just to quit doing the bad things. So many times we think, oh, well, I quit. That would be better if you seek to eliminate that issue. But what's best is to say, God, now how do you want to use this area of my life? How do you want to redeem it? And what do you want me to do with the time that I was focusing here? And that's what he's talking about when he said, so that you may be able to discern what is best, what may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness, and comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that this has happened to me, has served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? Paul has this perspective. 
He says, look, I know this is a difficult circumstance, but God is using it. He's using it to bring glory to Himself. And He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in change for Christ. People know why I'm here. They know what I stand for. They know the gospel. They know the truth of Christ. Because my change, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Because of what's happened to me, some have felt the need and seen that it's essential that they step up. It has made them bold as they have heard the reports that he's even being bold while he's here in prison. He continues on and he says, Because of my chains, most of my brothers are encouraged to speak the word courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it in love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether they be false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul says, you know, some preach out of selfishness, uh, out of envy, out of self-ambition, out of ego. And the real truth of it is virtually every, pa- every pastor will deal with that. Now, we'll deal with the other side as, as well, the, the, you know, the humiliation and the tough times. But virtually as believers, most of us will deal with that. And you've heard pastors before that you go, golly, and you, maybe you've even thought this about me. You're thinking, that guy has such a big ego. And you know what? What's amazing is that God works in spite of our egos. God works in spite of our ambitions sometimes. And you know, that's the great thing is really no one can take credit for what God does. When lives are transformed, it's not because of how good the preacher is, how good the music is, or how godly we think we are. Ultimately, it is the Spirit of God that brings about transformation. And Paul is saying, some don't have the right motives, but God is still using the truth of the gospel. So maybe sometimes we get a little bit, we overreact when we see people on uh, television. We may overreact a little bit sometimes. Now, I'm not saying when truth is not preached, but I think sometimes when the methods we don't agree with, recognize that it's taste, and it may be bad taste, but God may still use it. And so you'll probably be okay. All right? So just a little word there. Uh, as we continue here, he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help has given by the Lord Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, that's a direct quote from Job chapter 13, verse 16. Paul is probably thinking of Job as he writes this because this is a direct quote from the book of Job. He's probably thinking, I'm in prison at this time. I'm having difficulty at this time. But God is going to ultimately use what He has brought to pass. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed and will have sufficient courage, title of our message, sufficient courage. What is courage? Jill Briscoe says it like this. Courage is this. It's faith that it says prayers. It's faith that says I'm moving ahead in prayer and moving ahead in the direction that God has led. I will no way be ashamed for I've been given sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or death for me to live is Christ to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, where should I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be a part with Christ, which is far better, but is necessary for you that I remain in the body. Let me tell you what that passage right there is not, because 
Every once in a while, somebody will mistakenly use that little part right there to say to justify suicide. Can I tell you, God never justifies or never wants us to commit suicide. And I share that because many of you have children, many of you have grandchildren, and sometimes a message can get out there, particularly from cults and bad information, that people think, you see, Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That was his objective, to get to Christ. But let me give you two other things that have been given to us. First of all, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 31, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. And that's what suicide is. It's murder. It's taking our own life. Uh, It's killing our own life for our own benefit. And so that's a great commandment. You could even go all the way back to Genesis 1.27. God said, I created man in my image. And for our purpose, our purpose is to bring God's glory. Let me give you one other passage that I think is good for us to under, and it's good with this note. And excuse me for this sidebar, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 is another good verse for that. <clears throat> it is a great verse to share with your children. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We can always reflect back there and recognize that God has bought us. He owns us. And the life that He's given is not up for us to take, but it is a gift from God in whom He will decide when and where and how. Now, I want us to take a step back. We talked about difficult circumstances and Paul's perspective and knowledge and discernment. What about difficult people that Paul was dealing with? How do I practically deal with that? Well, let me give you a couple of things that you could practically do to deal with difficult people. Number one, when dealing with a difficult person, first of all, seek to understand. Seek to understand what is it they're really upset about. You know what I find out? Usually in the heated argument, people don't really tell you what the real issue is. It's usually like secondary. Sometimes they don't even understand. Sometimes they're not ready to share it. But seek to understand first. Number two, Examine yourself and see if there's something that you can learn from them. What is it that God might be trying to teach you through that difficult situation or that difficult person? Number three, forgive. That doesn't mean you have to forget, but it means that you release them from penalty. That's what forgiveness means, being released from a penalty, being released from your need to maybe get even with them. Number four, give it some time. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just take a step back. And number five, Here's my big one, and this is the one that I have to ask myself and one I struggle with. Does it really matter if I'm right or not? So many times I've gotten in arguments and it's more important for me to be right than for reconciliation to happen. Now again, if this is a serious doctrinal issue, then that's one thing, but most of our issues that we deal with are really taste and personality. And so the important thing is not that you win or that you're right, but that you may reconcile and come to peace. So just some thoughts. Now, what about when it's a, a difficult situation or an uncertain situation that you're dealing with? Something that's come in the future like Paul. Well, Paul says in verse 20, I will give you sufficient courage. I want to give you that promise. I will give you sufficient courage. Number two, I want you to encourage others to grow while during this time. I want you to encourage and be used by God to invest in other people's lives. And so... As we look at verse 23, we see Paul encouraging people. It gives you purpose. Purpose for which you were created, even in difficult times, and in order not to just consume yourself, but to give part of yourself to others and to the benefit of others' growth. 
and stand firmly together with those in Christ. In verse 27, Paul talks about believers standing together, seeking counsel and being of one mind and one spirit. So what are some practical steps that I can take to deal with my future? We see Paul taking these steps, and I encourage you to read the rest of that. Um, and I'm not going to read it because it's getting blurrier, quite frankly, so that's why I'm stopping. So I want to encourage you to read at home. If you need me to read it to you, call me. I'll put my glasses on and read it to you later. Uh, but let me give you four practical steps here that you can envision to deal with an uncertain future and with a difficult future. Number one, envision the future God desires for you spiritually. Envision that in a spiritual. I'm not talking uh, about other matters, but I'm talking about spiritually. Think about God. Here's what I'd like to be. God, I... I would like to be a loving and godly father. I'd like to be a loving and godly husband. I'd like to be someone who brings impact to my neighborhood and to my workplace. Begin to envision what that would look like and set that goal in your mind and maybe write it down. Number two, put yourself in a position to experience that. And what do I mean by that? Put yourself in a position to experience that. Well, Number one, you may need to begin to really study and learn. You need to study Scripture. You need to maybe educate yourself in Scripture and educate yourself in some of the promises of God. Educate yourself in what it means to be a, a godly father and a godly mother or a godly uh, son or daughter or whatever the situation may be. What do I need to do? Well, secondly, during that time also, take advantage of the opportunities that you see around. Believe, number three, through Christ that God can use the circumstances that are ahead of you and are behind the ones that are behind you. Believe that God can use your situation. And begin to take advantage of, of all the situations that have occurred and begin to take advantage of opportunities that will come your way. You know, so many times we get asked to do things and sometimes we don't do them simply out of fear. Uh, we don't exercise the sufficient courage. And sometimes we should say no, quite frankly. Sometimes we should say no to things uh, that may even be involve be good things, so to speak, as Paul talked about before. Sometimes we may not really have the time to do something that we've been asked. But what I think is important is that we don't simply let fear, be, fear or taste be the dictator. Not simply because it's not my taste or because I'm afraid. It may be that I'm not best for this. It may be that this is not the right time. But can I tell you this? As you begin to seek the heart of God for Him to use you, He will begin to open doors. And the question is, will you go through those doors? There'll be, there are classes starting this Wednesday night. There are great equipping classes. Some of you, that might be the door that you need to walk through. There are service opportunities here within our church that we would love to use you. That might be the door that God is opening for you to begin the process of your journey. Some of you need to say, you know what, I... I need to trust Christ. I need to come and commit my life to Him. Some of you maybe need discipleship. Whatever it is, I want to ask you to take that next step. Envision. Put yourself in the position. Believe that Christ through you can make those changes and can take you to that place and begin to take advantage of the opportunities that are before you. I read an article this week in the paper that uh, nearly 600,000 people will have uh, cardiac bypass, will have a heart bypass surgery this year. And the doctor that they were interviewing says, I, in my experience, 90% of them will not change one thing about their life. I'll tell them, look, 
you're going to really need to quit smoking. You're going to need to quit drinking to the extent you are. You're going to need to quit eating high cholesterol, high fatty foods. And 90% of them, he said, won't do anything about it. He said, you'd think that a near-death experience would just like, okay, what do I need to do now? But he said, in fact, that's not the case. Can I tell you this? That's true for us. So many times we're waiting for that big pop in the head, that near-death experience, and then, I'll, Lord, I'll take the step. The real truth of it is it's just like your physical health. There's some things that you just need to adjust, and you need to start taking those steps. And I've just given you some steps to begin to take. And I can promise you this, if you don't take any of them two years from now, you'll be where you are or you will have declined. You won't spiritually grow because you get older any more than you uh, physically get in better shape as you get older. I'm asking you to take that step. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You, God, that while we were yet sinners, You died for us. I pray for those who need to take a step of faith today. Those who need to know You, I pray that You would draw them. Lord, if there's one here that uh, needs to experience the grace and forgiveness, I pray that You would allow them to do that today by trusting You and by accepting You as their Savior. Thank You for this time. In Your name I pray. Amen.